Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're going to catch up with a past guest, who, and they've been exploding the last few years, Bad it's Monkey Popcorn. Bad Monkey Popcorn. You know, uh, they we've kind of been following them a little bit. They were on the show uh, several years ago plus when they were... First, kind of starting out, they were they'd open a year, but it was still just uh, a few employees. And now they're at seventy two, and they're uh, shipping everywhere, and uh, lots more people know them. So it's going to be a great growth story to hear. Seventy two employees, wow! So uh, Fabio and Joseph from Bad Monkey Popcorn will join us in a little bit. Plus, we'll talk about online marketing and some of what they've been doing uh, with Pivizio's Natalie Riviere later in the program. Uh, but first, as usual, entrepreneurial news and notes. And uh, the big story today that I think we want to spend a few minutes on is Facebook. And Dan, it's actually a question I wanted to throw your way since, you know, you you live and breathe this with your your TNKR and your PR and, you know, certainly with Facebook and the, the what happened with the U.S. election and all that, I guess the, I guess the question I want to ask you, and I, I read this article not, not too long ago, should your company's ad dollars still be using Facebook? Should your company still use Facebook for its marketing efforts? So you still trust it? What do you, you know, is the credibility out the window? What What do you do? So we've been talking about this for a couple of years, right? I mean, this is not a total surprise to me, the, the length to which Facebook has gone uh, to invade your privacy, frankly. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. The data that, that, that Facebook and Google has collected um, goes beyond, I think, what a lot of marketing professionals like me uh, thought was happening. I mean, to the point where they're tracking your movements, you know, from city to city, uh, some pretty scary stuff, not just, you know, what you type and what you willfully put into the social network, um, but they are accessing your cell phone data and uh, and going a lot further than I think a lot of people suspected. So, But it's not just Facebook. It's not just Facebook. Facebook and Google are the main offenders, um, but they're, this, this is sort of uh, the reality of all social networks. Uh, these platforms are not free. That's that was the the conception at the beginning, right? Oh wow, it's this great social network. It's free. You log on, talk to your friends. They've got to make money somehow, and they do that by selling your data. So this stat is a bit old, but uh, and I'm sure the value has increased. But a few, you know, maybe five six years ago, we were talking about uh, Facebook actually uh, harvesting about five hundred dollars worth of your data every year. So they should be paying you, really, um, not the other way around. But fast forward a few years, and and the Donald Trump experience has taught us that these social networks can be very much abused. And for the purposes of entrepreneurship, and I I wrote this in a blog actually on TNKR a few months ago, it's a problem because the more the Donald Trumps and the more the political activists and the the AIs and the big spenders, the more space they take up on social media, the less space you take up on social media and your company. So unless you can match, you know, the $95 million budgets of various political organizations, it's going to be very hard for your messages to go through. And a lot of people, even on their personal Facebook pages uh, over the last few years, have noticed diminishing interactions. No, it's not because you're less popular. It's because people aren't seeing your posts. But then, so does that mean that why you concentrate on Facebook, you don't don't ignore it completely, but maybe would you focus on Instagram or uh, some other platform, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, as maybe a little bit different or, or aim your marketing dollars, your marketing efforts, your branding efforts 
towards other platforms and not only rely on the one, the Facebook or what have you. So for individuals, I mean, if you want to, you know, do hashtag delete Facebook and never go back again, you have my blessing. It's not, it's not a whole lot of value there for, for my own personal enlightenment. But for business, it's way too early to be starting to delete Facebook pages. Uh, no, people still use it. I mean, yeah. they're still they're still active, uh, certainly uh, certainly from an FL standpoint, from a PVisio standpoint, from a people standpoint. Uh, you know, we call it mom book often, but you're, you know, you're hitting that, still hitting a target market. People aren't dropping it tomorrow. So no. I don't. I agree. I don't. I don't think you can take it away from your from your your campaigns that you do or the or the efforts that you do. But you might you might monitor a little closely. You might think twice uh, before what type of information you're putting on there. Yeah, and, and you know we we've managed accounts for people who easily have tens of thousands of, of people on Facebook. So you don't just turn away from that kind of audience. These this is that's a valuable commodity. However. Do you scale back? Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of businesses who have invested heavily in Facebook are starting to to see fewer and fewer dividends because of this lack of space that I mentioned. And because Facebook as a business and wants to profit and grow quarter to quarter, your your free messages are only going to be uh, reduced even more. So my advice would be to have a media mix. This is what we preach in PR, whether it's a social network, whether it's traditional media, newspapers, internet. you got to spread the message around and not rely... Uh, your bot not not sort of uh, uh, have your bottom line hinge on one social network because as we saw you know there, there could be a slight problem and then your your day and your quarter could be ruined. Still comes back to knowing your audience and where they live. Yep, and exactly you know where where your audiences live plural I should say because some of them are going to be on Facebook, others might be on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Excellent. We can certainly move on there because there's definitely some other uh, other news of the week. Uh, and, and, you know, this, this topic keeps coming back, Dan, and it's about brick and mortar versus online. Mm-hmm. And there was an article recently, um, where somebody introduced, interviewed, uh, Simons, uh, the Simons, uh, people know Simons. It's a, it's a department store. It started in Quebec city in 1840. So we're talking almost 180 years ago. And he is actually very interested and, in, and in bringing back stores and, and designing them, giving a reason for people to walk back in the store. We've, we've said it constantly. You need Consumers need a reason to go to walk in the store. And the reality is, as as we all know and we all see, and there's, there's stats are, uh, that report this constantly, yes, there's a ton of online sales, but the majority of retail purchasing is still done in retail locations. It is not done online. There's huge business to be done online. But they're still buying in-house. Even even the even the the greatest profits that are predicting with all the growth of the e-commerce, there's still going to be at least two thirds or three quarters of people that will still walk in the store and buy it. So you got to create that great customer experience. And and Simon's is really this article was talking about what they're doing. You know, they're they're building bright stores. Anybody ever walked into Simon's? You know, it's it's bright. Okay, sometimes there's a lot of merchandise. I, I grant you, but definitely. Definitely taking advantage of new locations, bright locations, and of course, energy saving locations and reusable, you know, trying to have resources, reuse, reusable sources uh, that are trying to really also speak to, to the environmental community. There's this uh, quote in the Gazette from the founder of a company in Montreal called New No, and they uh, they they train applications for retail employees. And this CEO is conv- is convinced. He says, "We firmly firmly believe the future of brick and mortar uh, in the future of brick and mortar retail." No question. And and if you if if you read, you go online and and you you do a lot more reading on this, uh, you'll see that that 
the conversion. And what they're doing is they're saying, yeah, bring people into the store. But not only that, is train your people. Because a great salesperson on the floor in a retail store can make a lot of money for you. They, if they are properly trained, and this is this is what the, this article was talking about, and this is where some of the some of the Montreal tech companies are betting on retail, is that we're going to create apps or applications that can help make your salespeople on the floor better, a little more knowledgeable, use use the technology in their favor. Because once you have them in the room, and once you have a human talking to a human and interacting, it's a lot easier to close a sale. That consumer, that end consumer is going to want to buy from somebody that is interested and knowledgeable about their product. Versus, as we've said often, you're shopping online, it's really a lot of window shopping. This is a good story for entrepreneurs who want to put themselves out in public from entrepreneur.com. Uh, five public speaking tips from seasoned experts, always through them, and then uh, please comment, Josh. Uh, talk to uh, talk about what you know. This is uh, basic Dale Carnegie, you know, don't BS your way through <laughs> it. Uh, don't, you know, fake it all the way through, uh, although a lot of people do it, and uh, I, you know, I try not to too often. Um, only with family. I would never do that with clients. Uh, but definitely uh, know, talk about what you know about it, and if you don't, don't be shy to say, I don't know, and I'll find out. This is one that I, I say to clients on a regular basis, especially for broadcasting. Speak so slowly that it feels strange. Simon Sinek. If everybody has, if no, somebody has not heard of Simon Sinek, I'll say it slowly, Simon Sinek, one of the most watched TED Talkers around. Uh, he speaks beautifully and he absolutely preaches this, speak slower than you think because mm -hmm. when you don't, you ramble, you rattle off and people get lost. It's been a big problem of mine. Uh, talk to the back of the room. That is, you know, people start conversations or start talking in a group in an auditorium and not everybody's comfortable and they start really loudly, but then they get a little more comfortable, the energy kind of drops a little bit, and they, they, they end up speaking softer, not everybody can hear. Always focus on the back of the room, this way you'll make sure your voice always projects. Don't comp copy someone else's style. This one I don't know if I fully agree with. Uh, you know, it's always good to have your own style, but if, if you don't have your own, and you want to kind of blend or see what else has worked for somebody else, go do it. But, but do try and make some of it your own. I disagree. I mean, I, th I think a lot of people have, you know, styles that are influenced by other people. Someone once wrote in saying, I sound too much like Johnny Carson. And I replied, I'm past Johnny Carson. I sound like Bill Maher, who is imitating Johnny Carson. Right. And that's, yeah, anyway. Uh, let your energy empower you, finally. Every speaker has some nervous energy when they walk into the room. I don't care how seasoned you are. There's always a little bit of it. Just make it work for you. And, uh, and that will actually bring some energy and bring some power to your voice. All right, let's talk some popcorn with the guys from Bad Monkey Popcorn. That is up next. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, we're actually welcoming back a past guest, guest, uh, guests. They were with us in 2015, and since then, uh, they've exploded. Fabio and Joseph Zapili of Bad Monkey Popcorn. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, I mean, it's, this title is self-evident, but what do you guys do for a living? You want to take this, Joe? Yeah. Well, we sell delicious popcorn you could find in your local grocery stores. All right. But it's not just about that. It's it's not just about the delicious popcorn. There's so many flavors. You do sell to grocery stores. You are out there. You, you bring it to the public. Uh, you know, so... Yeah, we're just being humble. We're actually the kings of popcorn, so yeah. <laughs> uh, we're involved with the community, of course. That's important. Uh, we do many projects. We're distributed now throughout Quebec, uh, and our next conquest is Ontario, um, so we're here to discuss uh, about uh, growth. growth and yeah, all the challenges. 
Now, now before we get there, and and if you you know the listening audience, you want to hear the 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 full original story, you can certainly go back to our to our website to hear it at flmontreal.com. But just just a little bit of brief of where this got started. Yeah, so back in 2014, uh, we all had great jobs and uh, we always had this vision of working with each other and we saw this hole in the market for a really cool company that produced affordable, delicious popcorn. And so we all uh, basically left our jobs, uh, took a leap of faith, uh, worked together. We worked uh, really, really hard uh, to create an amazing product and here we are. Did you ever wonder or you ever think how in the world are the four brothers going to be able to work together? <laughs> that was actually the hardest part. Um, so that's still to this day because the hardest four part. Because bro- it's four brothers, the four brothers that are that are really the owners, the operators, yeah. chief cooks, bottle washers. Yeah, I, I think in any business when you work with your family, there's always challenges associated with that. But for us, it's like when you walk in the door, you know, the the, the title brother or whatever. It's done. Yeah, we're we're associates, we're business partners. We focus on the job. We focus on all our objectives. Yeah, and it, like he's, like he couldn't said it perfect. There's no brothers. It's straight business. When we leave, it's other stuff. But uh, during the day, we put our emotions aside and we deal with uh, all the problems. If not, you have to deal with your with your mother. Right? My mother, yeah, she's actually, a- <laughs> yeah, we're scared of my mother. She's too, a, the so referee. She's great though. She she loves us. Hey, mom. Hi. <laughs> now, now let's uh, but let's explore that a little further because you are your four brothers. Do you have your distinct roles? And has it changed? Like when you were first on, you kind of, you guys had your different specialties, you know, finance and legal and all that jazz. And as, as the business evolved, did those roles stay the same? Yeah, I think it's a good point. Well, at first in any business, you know, you're a jack of all trades. You're doing many different things. And so we all had crazy roles from production to marketing, like you pointed out. And as the company evolved and as we grew into what we are now, we've kind of put ourselves into more specific roles. It's more clear now. Actually, it's a lot more clear what our roles are and what our job uh, description are. And uh, I think it's working better than ever. Yeah, it's much more efficient like that. Did you wish you did that from the get-go? We couldn't. We literally had no employees. We were the employees. So there, there was no option. You had to be the driver and the cook. Now, how many people are you today? Well, we're over 50 right now. Um, so we're growing very, very fast. I mean, like when we first started, uh, it was just Joe and myself and my other brothers. And obviously, friends and family helped out. But as you grow, I mean, there's a lot of different challenges that come with that. What do you attribute to your success? What are you guys doing differently than Orville or the other ones? We actually, we were talking about that the other day. We actually didn't have a concrete plan. I think that actually was the best. Fab has the best expression with the plane. uh... Yeah, we kind of, you know, jumped off a a cliff and built a plane on the way down. That's kind of how we see it. And we're very, very committed to engaging with our customers. And I think a lot of big companies take for granted that people are just going to buy their popcorn, you know? And so we're out there and we're donating a lot of our popcorn and our time and we're involved in the community and people can reach out to us and say, hey, you know what? We like this flavor or you know what? We don't like this flavor. And we we really do listen to them. So uh, I think part of the reason is that obviously there's hard work and all that but we care about our customers you, you you're you're over 50 employees you're well over five times i think when we first met yeah. um at what point do you go from informal with your employees to a little bit more formal you, you know you're creating the rules creating policies you can't can't have it too loose when you're no. when you're now over 50 people you got to have something we, we it sounds weird but we try to structure it sort of like costco in a way uh, where everybody has their designed roles um and our Policies actually have changed, and we have shareholders now, so it's a little different as well. I'm sure any entrepreneur who has that now knows there's there's internal reports, monthly controls, and before it was just me and my brother talking over coffee. 
yeah. and now we have meetings every We month. still have an open door policy in the sense that Joe and I don't even have an actual office. We have a, a large place and so we have our laptops and we just sit wherever there's a free space yeah. and people free, feel free really to come and talk to us about whatever they problems or issues or good things that they have. So we have that like the atmosphere of an open, you know. And with our employees actually what I like is they they're able to talk to us. So even even our cook had a great idea on how to maximize our, our efficiency and we've implemented it and it's been amazing. So anybody you, can come. Have you created formal meeting process over time, you know, versus everybody just kind of congregating at one point, <laughs> uh, you know, cause you have, you have 50 plus people. Yeah. So they're reporting to probably different brothers at different stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we like, we'll have like a sales meeting once a week, let's say Monday nights, we'll have a sales meeting Tuesday nights. It'll be we'll, more HR issues. So every day we have a different sort of meeting per se, you know, but again, it, it's still open door, but we try to structure as much as possible. And, and it's exciting. Honestly, I, I feel very proud to say that we have that many employees and that many people are, are earning an income uh, because of the hard work we, we've put in. More with Fabio and Joseph Sapili of Bad Monkey Popcorn. Josh talk about a bit of marketing and web marketing as well on the way. Uh, but first, news is up next. 7.35, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. We're doing an update tonight from a previous guest, Fabio and Joseph Zapili of Bad Monkey Popcorn. And Josh, the growth uh, that these guys have experienced over the last few years is really incredible from essentially zero employees, I mean, just themselves, to 50. 50 plus. Yeah, wow. no, absolutely. It's a, it's a team around you. Uh, was it hard to find people? Was, you know, the growth, that growth and, and finding the, the human resource component? Yeah. So actually we've been pretty lucky. We've hired kind of internally in the sense that people who've worked for us for now, like two, three years have recommended people they trust. And so, you know, if you've worked for, you know, if you work for us for a while and we trust you, you know. Shout good. out to Frank and Benson, yeah. one of our lo <laughs> longest time employees. Yeah, no, great guys. And so that's it. And we just kind of grew organically like that. Yeah, it's been it's been a great uh, transition, and our staff. That's what honestly I, I attribute everything to them. Uh, it, we've we've had a great staff, and we've we've been lucky. Now we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a little bit. You do have to actually manufacture the popcorn. There is a there is a process behind it, and I have no doubt that five years ago. Yeah. Or four years ago versus today is we were a, is a wee hand. bit different. Just, just, we'll say it straight up: we were bagging by hand uh, all night. Uh, yeah, it was basically it was crazy. We're doing everything hand is handmade pretty much, you yeah. know. And as we've grown, we've reinvested in the company. And uh, you know, instead of going out there and buying some sort of fancy big machine, keeping it local, what we decided to do was hire local engineers, young guys, to actually create straight a machine. Out of school. Yeah, right out of school to create a machine for us from scratch. So obviously, it's a, it was a big risk, but it was a, a big payoff too, and it, it's. It's fantastic. We ended up getting it at, at uh, half the price, uh, and we had someone that was hungry. And his presentation, that's really what sold us. It blew us away compared to the big box guys that were just giving us a cookie-cutter machine. He was actually there for us, and he's still there for us, comes and checks up on us. So that's the difference, I think, with with the local. Now, is it is it a question of, you know, because you're, you're manufacturing – and it's there's there's no doubt that the whole manufacturing process, when you're scaling up and you're selling more and more and more, your capacity is going up. So when you're first going out and you're building that machine, are you thinking scalability? Are you thinking big capacity later on? Yeah. Or are you really dealing a little bit at a time? What what was what was your vision at that point? It's a good question. To be honest with you, the number one thing, and it sounds corny to say this, but it's true, is quality. As you go faster and you're making more popcorn and it's just coming in, uh, you want to make sure that it's the same quality as when it's like, you know, made in our kitchen. Yeah, because once you lose that customer, you know, I know this from experience because I'm, I'm a fan of, of snack foods. 
once you once I have a bad taste in my mouth, it's hard to get that customer back. So we are sergeants when it comes to quality. Have you ever said no to a customer? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. I, I, we don't want to tell who on there. But, no, no, not who. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was it definitely sometimes we, it was a big box guy, and we were not ready for them. Yeah. And you know, if you're not ready, they're gonna eat eat you up and spit you out. So speaking of of big box stores, you know, and you know, you're you're not necessarily a small company, but maybe compared to some others, mm-hmm. you're smaller. You're dealing with big box stores. How how did you first get in the door? First of all, was it just a question of name and reputation? Well, first off, we're we're very happy to be uh, we'll open our company here in Quebec. Uh, everybody's been super supportive. It's it's been incredible with local companies. They could have easily uh, squashed us in the beginning, and they were very supportive of us. Even gave us amazing spots. Um, and if the owner likes you, then you could do magic and that's really what it is. Yeah, whether it was the big guys like Sobeys, Metro or Provigo or Maxi or whatever, I mean, even the small guys, it just from big or small, everybody was super supportive. So we didn't really do it on ourselves. Like, and we had so much help and so much people, people had a lot of faith in us too. Yeah. So if you're an entrepreneur out there and wanting to start a business, trust me, you have a great opportunity. People are very, uh, they're helpful. But it's not always a deal, not always easy to deal with a big box store. So it's great to have a reputation. Mm -hmm. If you could transport your knowledge back three years or when you first started doing it, would you have done anything differently? Honestly, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I think everything we did was for a reason. We made our little bit mistakes here and there. Uh, but well, I'm the finance guy, so yeah. yes, I, I would have changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the finance guy say? We, we lost money. Well, you know, <laughs> learning and paying the hard way, yeah. which which for me, I, it burns me to this day. So that's why I don't make that same mistake again. It, it's all around price point, you know? And for us, we want to make sure that our product is actually really good quality, but we want to make it affordable. We joke internally that it's like, it's a Maserati, but at the price of a Mazda, you know, both are great cars, just different. And so we want to make sure that everybody could afford our, our popcorn. When you were figuring out or determining what price to sell it for, mm-hmm. was that a big decision? That, that was extremely hard, hard because, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I'll cut you off. But it, you could price yourself out. You could be too high. You could be uh, known as a cheap product if you price it too low. And at first, what was the hardest thing was calculating what our, our actual cost per bag that's really what's the most important is cost per bag. So then we can find a where's what profit are we looking for? And on top of all that, you're a brand. So you're trying to throw back money into marketing, which we'll talk, I guess, soon about. But, you, you know, that's why it's not a profit company. We're trying to reinvest. So popcorn is not a new product. What made you decide to sort of take sub, take up fairly old ideas, sort of a classic staple in cinemas and, and remix it? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just made a cooler wheel, you know? When you think of energy drinks, you think Red Bull. When you think of chips, maybe Lay's or Ruffles, popcorn, nothing really comes up into your head in, in, until Bad Monkey, of course. Yeah. So bringing that segue into marketing... And, you know, what did you do when you first got out versus what do you do today? When you first started that company yeah. versus today, what's, <laughs> Well, it used to be different? me and Joe in a rusty van, you know, selling popcorn at children's parties. And it's uh, it's not that right now. So we're, uh, you know, there's different ways to get your name out there. For us, it's really important to be implicated in the community. So whether it's, you know, being involved in a charity or a hospital or a school or even with sports teams, Joe's actually does that. Yeah, so now we're... Um still partners with uh, the Montreal Alouettes. We're heading out west. We're going to be partners uh, in Ottawa and Toronto with different sports teams there as well. So we're more, like I said, a family company. So uh, a lot of families go to these sports sporting events. And as well now with the schools, that's a huge thing right now where we're actually going to visit two schools per 
month and we're giving free popcorn to the entire school. Yeah. Where do you draw the line between the product you want to give away and the stuff you need to sell? To be honest with you, we just like giving stuff away. Like We're just generous <laughs> guys and we feel like once you try it, you're going to love it. Yeah. So that's just the best thing, you know? We, we've had big billboards and things like that, but nothing beats the popcorn in your hands. Yeah, and eating it. So as one of your, was your strategy from the beginning, just get as much of your product in people's hands as possible? That's why we were primarily a festival company our first year, whereas now we hand hand select the the festivals we're going to be at and sort of cater to our clientele. What about traditional media online? What do you do for that? Yes, I mean, traditional media is obviously very important to us. You know, even in the stores, we're still implicated with flyer ads, things like that. Um, For Facebook, we have a presence. We have a presence, obviously, on Instagram, uh, Twitter. You know, all the online venues were there. And I feel like we have a really good engagement because we actually care. We actually respond to every single email, every single inquiry, direct message, everything. Do you do your marketing internally or do you sub it out? Actually, we do it internally. Yeah. Uh, we're a little bit controlling like that. I mean, there's a lot of great companies out there. We're not close to uh, people, you know, maybe pitching their services. Just no, nobody has blown us away. Yeah. You know, um, that's really what it is. We, we just have just... a vision of where we want to go, and we feel confident that we can get there. Now, there's a lot of a lot of small companies, a lot of growing companies that really want to make a big score. You know, what they want to find this great huge account. They want to they want to hit the home run with with every possibility. Did you guys ever have that vision or desire or you were happy with the smaller we, we really honestly said one day at a time that's yeah. really what it is we we got our first store i believe it was an iga or a metro i'm not it was an iga then yeah. a metro and we went one store at a time knocking one store one store one, it turned into 10 then 20 then 30 and then after like 60 70 the head office is going to call you so we kind of did it backwards where instead of going to the head office we built a sales uh figure so they already knew we sell and then it was easier to get into Sobeys. We don't have much time left before our next segment, but quickly, and I'll ask the finance guy, was it hard to finance and deal with cash flow over, over time? Extremely. So uh, we visited every single bank. Uh, I'm proud to say that the, the, one of the banks that that uh, was there for us in the beginning, and there was not many, was Desjardins. Uh, it was very good and very easy. And then as well, the BDC is there for us. So uh, those two people have really helped us out. And since Still then, there today? Still there helping today? Yeah, and well, actually, it's funny now. The banks call us now, you know, so it's kind of different, and that's what we really uh, we like now. But they're still there; they're still with us. Uh, and TD now as well as we're doing a project with TD. So uh, the banks are actually uh, they want you more now. Well, they are a little bit hungrier these days. <laughs> no pun. Okay, every pun intended. <laughs> uh, coming up, we'll have Fabio and Joseph's one piece of advice. For today's entrepreneur, that's on the Pop, way. Popcorn stuck in your throat. Yeah, that's, that's actually what happened. Uh, Pivizio's Natalie Rivera also coming up next on online marketing. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And joining us in studio is Fabio and Joseph Sapili of Bad Monkey Popcorn. They are back uh, and bigger and badder than ever. And we'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, welcome back. P. Vizio's Natalie Riviere, our marketing specialist. How are you, Natalie? I'm great. Thanks. How are you doing, Dan? Good. Thank you. And uh, Josh, we're going to talk about uh, online marketing, how to convert those fan bases. Absolutely. And maybe we'll just come full circle for a bit because when we started the program about the lovely Facebook news and and uh, and a little bit of that controversy, and I kind of want to hear f- from Natalie on uh, on her take on you know entrepreneurs and and should they be fearful of Facebook? Uh, how should how should entrepreneurs react to this story? I think it's a question of focus, and again, I'm really all about uh, on being on the side of the entrepreneur. So focusing again on putting you first and investing in yourself first. Um, 
But this I guess it also happens. Doesn't. This is going to happen. What I tell people is like, let's use these free tools that are relevant for as long as they're free and as long as they're relevant or even the paid, like you can pay the game, but it's not something that I ex- you expect to last forever. And it's really not where you want to be putting all your eggs or uh, all of your strategy. There are other platforms. Yeah. And mainly your own. You really want to be, you are a brand, you are a marketing vehicle, you're a media um, and you should really see yourself as one. So now what exactly does that mean? You are your own brand. You are your own media. You are your own. You create your own content. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit. So online and anytime you would be evaluating your business or looking for investors, partners, loans, etc. Uh, the way that they um, evaluate your brand is in the visits you get on your website and the size and quality of your database. Those are literally the only two right now valued metrics that represent your brand and how much it's worth online. The next one coming, thanks to blockchain, will be your content. And I call it content banking. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, when we talk about, you know, Dan mentioned it before, conversions, you know, everybody hears analytics and you want to make right. sure that whatever you're doing online, you can convert in. So you want to measure it. And then what? Exactly. You you. I mean, all of these analytics speak to the value. They speak to the reach. Reach are numbers that all of the medias make up. They're interesting, but they're not the heart. They don't necessarily, they change. (laughs) And they don't necessarily represent real people all the time or even real value for the company. And so a conversion path would be, look, no matter what you're trying in your strategies online, no matter what you're talking about, 100% of the time you should be focused on these medias driving traffic back to your website where you get that visit Uh, you get that ranking boost with Google. You're investing in your own media as a a means of communication. And from that website is where they can convert to, let's say, like a a newsletter sign up or being your contact and adding to your database. Some call to action. If we turn to uh, two of the four bad monkeys here, uh, do you guys, have you measured your your online presence? Yeah, I mean, we don't. Uh, t- to be honest with you, um, we have a, a great following. We have a great traction. You know, the the, the reaction to our posts are fantastic. Uh, we haven't yet measured the analytics in the sense of conversion rates and things like that. To be honest, we have a lot to learn in that respect. That we admit that we just try to focus on having a good time and sharing, you know, interesting information with our our fa- our fans. Yeah, we have more uh, guerrilla marketing style. So we're on the ground, uh, seeing these places, festivals, charities, schools more direct to consumer. Now, there's also a question, and and Natalie, we've talked a little bit before on the program about it, but what about e-newsletters to get information out there? What can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I think that's actually where you get some of the most interesting metrics. So every brand should ideally be looking at, are they having a newsletter? And you don't want to think of it the traditional way that sometimes you'd say newsletter and what that would bring up to mind. Um, Best practices for newsletters is really to have many lists. So imagine many newsletters. In your case, guys, it would be very obvious to have one maybe just for suppliers uh, since you have such a wide network and really valuable relationships there. Um, You can have internal newsletters and obviously then the actual fans, the public, your clients um, going into different markets like Ontario, you'd want different languages, different geographical regions. So the best practice and the way to win at the newsletter game is to really be hyper-targeted and then provide hyper-targeted content to those people that's relevant. Meanwhile, though, these newsletters are just a summary of the content on your website. So it's really just an invitation in people's inbox to come check out what's new. And so a way to drive traffic to your site, which raises the value and we go full circle. 
it, that's it. It's it's not a vicious circle. It's a it's a fun circle. Good. Uh, do you when you're when you're putting out newsletters, you're writing blogs, uh, and certainly in trying to think of of Bad Monkey Popcorn or, or any other type of similar similar product, do you try more to educate the consumer? Do you try more to say you know we're great at this? Do you try? Do you bring other topics? Create forums? Where what is that content you would look for? Especially in your case and honestly in general and what we're seeing, I think, uh, with, let's say, scandals coming out about different um, vehicles and social media is that there's a call to authenticity. There's a call to quality, even the algorithms and the way they've changed over Google, even over social media in the latest years has been all about pushing quality over quantity and 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 uh, real stories and real people and real followers and real engagement. Um, and so with a newsletter, I wouldn't so much focus on uh, you know, I would see it as a way to get really intimate with people and to build those relationships, uh, really make them feel involved in your process and ha- like they have a uh, an edge on everyone else that could find anything on Google. This is a, a way to get in with them and stay really close and connected to your following. An art and a science mixed together. Thanks very much, Natalie, for, so for sharing that. Thank you. And as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do each week, uh, we'll turn to uh, two of the bad monkeys and ask you guys, uh, Joe and, and Fabio, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Joe first. Biggest and most important is don't take no for an answer. Seriously, our, our bank told us, they laughed at us when we showed them their projections and we're actually now a year and a half ahead of our projections. So um, it, it's quite funny to, to go back and see our original business plan uh, compared to where we are now. We're, we're 10 times ahead. So don't take no. Excellent. And Fabio? For me, it would uh, be don't be afraid or too prideful to ask questions. You know, it's, it's really important to realize what you don't know. And there's a lot of people out there with great advice. Thanks, guys. Uh, really, Dan, Thank my you. my my quick takeaway, uh, although there's there's quite a few of them, uh, certainly they love what they do. I think it's amazing the four brothers are able to to stick it out together and and deal with it. But no question about it, for them, it's getting the product in the face of, of their consumer. The give back of the community that's what really stands out for me, and it's a it's a it's a great great thought and great uh, great line and great Thank you for branding for you guys. Thanks for coming guys and and it's it's a great testimony to their entrepreneurship that you take a product that's been around forever and make it popular in a totally different way. Uh, Joseph and Fabio of Bad Monkey Popcorn, thanks for stopping by guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks to Pivizio's Natalie Riviere as well with her expertise on online marketing. Uh, next week on the program, Josh, sorry, two weeks from now, two weeks from now on the program, uh, we will have someone very interesting who I'm bringing up on screen right now. And that is... <laughs> I'm just testing your technology. Uh, Pronexia. Pronexia, that's right. Join us then. Good night. <laughs>